Hey, everybody. You know, Mark and I have over 20 years of experience as therapists and as addicts in long-term successful recovery. We know better than anyone what works and what doesn't to break out of porn and sex addiction, heal betrayal trauma, and reclaim your relationship. And we've poured all of our personal and professional recovery and healing experience into a first-of-its-kind program for addicts, spouses, and couples. We call it Dare to Connect. At least four times every week, we engage with you in real time, in the trenches, giving you the knowledge and the tools to take back your life and relationship. Whatever else you've done on your journey for healing and recovery, you've never done anything like this. You know, Mark and I, we've made all the mistakes, so you don't have to. Don't reinvent the wheel. We all know tomorrow never comes. Look, don't wait one more day to change. Claim your free two-week trial today at daretoconnectnow.com. everybody. I'm Steve Moore. And I'm Mark Castleman. We know the pain and heartbreak of porn and sex addiction. And we know the triumph of breaking completely free. Every day, we help our clients find hope and healing. Join us in the fight to take back your life, your marriage, and be stronger than ever. This is the PBSC Squared Podcast. Hey, everybody. Mark and Steve on the PBSE podcast. <clears throat> Sorry for my voice. I uh, had a little bit of a cold trying to get the voice back entirely. So thanks for bearing with that. This is episode 215. And you'll notice the title, What Came First? His Emotional Disconnectedness. That's a big word. Or His Addiction. Dun, dun, dun. Picture like <laughs> lightning cracking. Yeah, which came first? <laughs> And this question actually came in from a partner and she expresses some really heartfelt things that we've heard quite a bit. Uh, Apparently what this, what kind of triggered this submission from her to us was we did a recent podcast about ADD or ADHD and kind of its connections to guys who struggle with addiction. And so she started asking uh, about another area that is often attached to addiction and she expressed uh, in a in a very uh, vulnerable way that she's had a number of partners over the years where they've had uh, quite a quite a few narcissistic tendencies, and she's found that those individuals also seem to have quite often addiction struggles. Seeing the correlation, so, yeah, the correlation. So she she sent in asking us, uh, and here's some of her specific questions, kind of kind of this you know what came first, the chicken or the egg. And she, she asked, do men who already have, already have narcissistic tendencies, which, you know, developed during childhood, do they gravitate towards sex or porn addiction more frequently, given their insecure nature and need for validation? Or has excessive porn use led to an increase in narcissistic tendencies in men? And could this be one reason why some men are successful in recovery while others never find true recovery? And we have some things to say about that. That's that's her saying those things that way, mm-hmm. not us. Um, but we wanted to kind of take this on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so first, as always, whenever we read a submission like this, 
having done this for so many years uh, with, you know, literally thousands of people by this time and in 20 plus years, each of us, we can only imagine as we fill in the blanks about what she means when she describes uh, past narcissistic tendency partners. Mm-hmm. And we know uh, all pretty much all that goes along with such an expression. If you're in a relationship, I mean, we never, we never did that. Mind oh, you, of I mean, course, we've, no, we've, we've, we've never done any of these things. We no. just know about them. <laughs> we just know about them. <laughs> we don't know what it's like to have bring narcissistic <laughs> tendencies into a relationship. Oh, of course God. you can talk to our wives and they could tell you all about what that's like. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> so we, we felt a lot of empathy for this uh, person who said this partner who submitted this because we know what it's like to drag people through that. Yeah. And having Absolutely. said all that, we we wanted to take a a little bit different approach, um, rather than focusing on the very narrow uh, field of narcissism. We wanted to to step back a bit, maybe instead of at a two thousand foot level of view, go to the forty thousand foot level of view on this, and just look at all of the various areas of general areas of selfishness, self-centeredness, objectification, uh, being emotionally closed off and disconnected, all of those tendencies that you see in so many of us. What is it with regard to that in the chicken and egg question? Do individuals start out with these dysfunctional tendencies and traits, which then leads them into addiction? Or do they go into addiction, which then brings on those traits and tendencies? Or is it both? And so we wanted to kind of look at some of that and and maybe get into some of this in a way that someone wouldn't normally approach it. It's just a simple narcissism versus addiction, addiction versus narcissism, right? There's a lot more going on here than that very narrow discussion. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, and, and one thing that we should mention, just a quick side note, is is we probably ought to delineate really clearly, like right now, before we jump into anything, the difference difference between narcissistic traits versus like narcissistic personality disorder, okay? Um, because these terms get used, or or a quote unquote narcissist. Um, I'll be honest with you, I really hate the word. Um, just me being, that's just me being totally real and authentic. I when I I, I feel like just gospel according to Steve, I feel like the term narcissist gets thrown around way too much in the mental health world especially in a casual way when it is actually a really serious condition and a serious diagnosis. Yeah. Um, the topic of, because when we're talking about somebody who is, who is, who is struggling with a true form of like narcissistic personality disorder, what we're looking at in the purest form is, is somebody who is completely devoid or lacking of any sort of a moral compass compass. Yeah. Um, in certain circles, that's all, it's almost uh, a form of psychosis where a person just literally has no, like a true psychopath, somebody who has no capacity to even connect with another person's reality or their, or, or a conscience, right. Or anything like that. They're incapable of any form of empathy. It does not exist inside of them. Which while that does exist, I think that's why the term bothers me so much because it gets thrown around casually and it's actually a really cruel label, I think, to throw it at, at a person because um, the vast, vast majority of the population does not, would never fit the definition, I think, of a true, a true someone struggling with narcissistic personality disorder. Okay? Right. It's, oh, yeah, it's overused. It's, it's weaponized. It's over, you know, it's overgeneralized. And we, yes. and we, and we understand why, 
right? Because of because of the great pain that's brought to someone in a relationship who is experiencing, you know, interacting with a person with narcissistic tendencies, it's very painful. It's very yes. brutal. And of course, you want to you want to just lash out and, and 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 express your true feelings and just you know, but but just label it all under this one word, you know, narcissism. Yes. So, and, and, and furthermore, uh, it is important to note that these traits do operate like many conditions. They do operate on a spectrum. Mm -hmm. They're not all created equal. When one person exhibits quote unquote narcissistic traits, it's not created as equal as another person. But Mark and I, I mean, we're, we're great examples of this. I mean, I've told on here the story before of where one day as my wife was crying after an, after yet another fight, she came into the room and tried to, after a very difficult conversation, tried to meet me vulnerably one more time. And I told her, there's the door. I don't know what to tell you. It's never going to change around here. So if you don't like it, feel free to use it and don't let it hit you on the way out. Mm. With like a dead straight face, wow. right? Now, somebody might look at that and be like, wow, king narcissist right there, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the reality was, if you knew the rest of that story, which is the minute that door, sh door closed, I started shaking and sobbing because yeah. I was so shocked at my behavior. Mm. You hear a whole different story. Right. right now, was that a horrible, awful thing to do? Yes. Was that exhibiting something like a narcissistic trait? Absolutely. Was I still feeling something and was just really good at burying it most of the time? Yeah, I was. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, because oftentimes what happens is, and I don't want to get stuck on this, but sometimes when people throw in the term, well, he has narcissistic traits, they're just using that to say, well, he's just selfish. <laughs> Yeah. Right, he's just selfish, or he just doesn't care, or he just doesn't, you know, whatever. So or he's emotionally anyway. closed off, or he doesn't really connect, or you know, there's, yes, there's lots of things that that means. Yeah, so we need, we need to get away from like the, the new buzzword culture around that term. But anyway, moving on. Um, <laughs> if we're talking about you know whether it's narcissistic tendencies, we're talking all the other qualities that we exhibit, you know, as addicts potentially everything from shame to perpetual inadequacy to a lack of self confidence or self worth. Right to um, an inability or a, a high level of reactivity. Right, Mark and I talk about that all the time on here. Yeah. Somebody would, my wife's and I's plans would change on Saturday, and I would just blow my stack. Right, yeah, we're going but... to the family dinner at five and not at six. What the <laughs> hell? And I would like just lose it. Yeah, right? the reactivity, the defensiveness, uh, the tendency to avoid escape and go into hiding, stoicness. Right. There's just, there's just all sorts of, of these things that come into play. And in fact, this, this month, this month in, in Dare to Connect, we're actually focusing on a field of psychology called internal family systems. Yes. That actually ties really well into this topic. And what, when you hear internal family systems, you think, oh yeah, my family of origin, how I grew up, the people I grew mm -hmm. up around. That's not what this is. That's family systems theory. That's family systems theory. This is this is coming from the, the the place of I have a family of parts inside of me. Yes. There's my true higher self kind of at the top. And then under that are all these parts that I developed along the way that were were that sought to protect me, taught, sought to protect the self. So for example, if there was a part of me that was uh, you know, really, really observant and notices people around me and is really curious and pays attention to the world. And then I suffer abuse or trauma. That good part of me now morphs itself where it goes from that healthy space to becoming hypervigilant, anxious, worried, noticing every person that could be a potential danger 
right? That, that part has become something extreme in order to, so that I might survive and be protected. So we have this whole group of parts in us, this internal family system that we've all developed over a lifetime of experience in order to, to cope, to self-soothe, to, to stay alive, to stay well, to avoid pain, to do whatever. And we see a ton of that internal family system in addicts. Yes, absolutely. And uh, like Mark said, we are getting into this on D2C right now. If we would love to have you come join us, uh, our Dare to Connect is our uh, online subscription program for addicts, spouses, and couples, where we meet with you uh, directly as a group uh, for four sessions a week, one for each of those demographics, as well as support sessions on Sundays, um, and uh, provide a whole list of things, including uh, self-study courses in addition to the weekly meetings and um, well over 30 hours of content a month. Um, great place where you can find out, uh, great place that we'd love to have you join us and come level up your healing. You can find out more information about that at daretoconnectnow.com as well as grab a free two-week trial for that uh, there. Uh, but is but but yeah, we, in talking about this, you know, IFS or internal family systems approach, where 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 IFS would tell you, and obviously this is just one paradigm among many, is that we as people do not start off exhibiting these negative dysfunctional traits like narcissistic tendencies, right, or shame, or these other things, that they are learned fractured pieces of a greater whole, right. right? That they're that they're splinters, or the term technically is exiles, um, uh, that 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 splinter off from the the main self, and that these are maladaptations that can that at one point may very well have protected us, right? Whether it was in childhood, or other relationships, or situations where we didn't have better coping strategies, but now they're working against us. Yeah, right? and I can tell you, I can tell you how one of those parts developed for me. So as a kid. I remember when I was pretty young, I grew up in a, a really dysfunctional family system, an extended family. And I remember looking around at the adults who are all suffered from a lot of mental illness, a lot of brokenness. And I remember looking at them and saying, these people can't take care of me. I can see that they're so wrapped up in their own problems and their own issues. They don't have any energy or attention or focus or mindfulness to give to me little more. I think I was like seven years old. It's crazy. And I remember at that moment, something triggered inside of me that said, Oh my gosh, Mark, you're on your own. Mm. And what happened from that point forward, that part of me that wanted to connect to people and trust people and interact with people and have relationships, basically it fractured. And it said, you know what? I can't count on any of those people. I got to take care of me now. And thus what developed out of that selfishness, self-centeredness, isolation. I got no time for any of your feelings because I'm all wrapped up in my own. Wish you guys luck. Right, Mark? It was a full focus on Mark from that point forward. Now, were those narcissistic tendencies? They were. They were. But look where they came from. And then, Uh, and then as a natural outflow of not being, not being able to count on others, when life would get really terrible, what did I learn at one point that there were these addiction outlets where I could go to self-soothe and self-protect and, 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 and connect, have a counterfeit of connection without risking with real human beings. Look what that addiction did with those, with those parts. It's a great example, right, of how this happens in this cycle that was being asked about. I mean, my, my story is is similar but different, 
right? I came from a long background of trauma and, and I, my addiction began where I began getting caught in addiction as I learned before I became an addict. I learned through trauma of the loss of a father and then of an uncle who kind of filled in with that was that people aren't safe to get close to, right? I had these amazing people in my life who would literally go away yeah. when, they'd get, when they'd get close to me. Yeah. And so I learned really quick, you have to lock down, be strong for your sisters and your mom. You can't, you can't afford to be hurt like this again. You need to pull back and you need to go inside yourself. So I emotionally just immediately distanced myself from everyone and everything at about the age of 13 and then discovered pornography right at that same time. And like Mark, we're wired to what? We're wired to connect. Well, I just cut off all my connection avenues. I didn't have connection anymore. And now all of a sudden I discovered this, I discovered this, this, this habit. I discovered sexuality with self that opened up a facsimile for feeling all those things that I needed to feel. Right. Yeah, but, and so, but, and, but we're too risky to go feel for real. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so Mark and I, you can see our stories, right? We got into this for a variety of reasons, but then what happens once you're in, when we start engaging in pornography and we start engaging other maladaptive behaviors and the consequences, whether they're emotional or physical or spiritual or whatever they may be, but they, they begin to mount. It starts to disrupt what? Our self-confidence, our self-worth. Right. And psychologically, and, and I know a lot of people are here and there about is sex, can sex be an addiction or whatever. What is widely recognized, I don't care what therapist you talk to on any, you know, from any paradigm, is that one of the major causes of cognitive dissonance or internal depression is the inability to execute what the brain says in the real world. Right. Dissatisfaction about the inability to follow through on what one wants to do or what's one's goals or one's intentions or desires are. And when you're dealing with a compulsive behavior, whatever it may be, sex or anything else, what do you set yourself up for? Everything that comes with that. Right. Lack of self-worth, lack of confidence, avoidance of difficult topics, decreased ability to cope with life stressors. Right. All of these other traits start to come into play, which then what? Set the stage for a need for. More coping. <laughs> yep. More, more self-centeredness, more isolation, more hunkering down. Right. We, <clears throat> we had, uh, on Sundays, we have, uh, our own, uh, internal 12 step support, uh, groups with our D to C people. Steve and I facilitate those personally, as well as we have, uh, Jenna Lee, who's on our team that facilitates the support group for women. And last night in our support group at D to C, we were talking about this very issue. Right? What are? Why did we turn to addiction in the first place? What were that we didn't come out of the womb as addicts, right? I mean, there are rare circumstances where you know you have alcohol syndrome, babies, and other things, but for most of us, that wasn't the case. So why did we begin turning to these things? And we started to trace it for some of the guys last night, right? This this uh, abandonment and feeling awkward, feeling embarrassed, not fitting in, not feeling like I was enough. Uh, a lot of guys had alcoholic fathers or mothers. Um, you know, just all kind of really destructive experiences with teachers or peers, all of these things that cause us to now feel that we have, we have to, I have to take control. We talked about that last night. What does the first step in 12 steps say? I basically admitted that by myself, I'm powerless. 
over this addiction and over all these things. But what does, what does, what does this part of us that we're talking about now say? No, I am in full power. Mm. I control my life. I keep me safe. I know what I need to self-soothe. I have all the answers and none of you, I'm not going to count on any of you for them. I will do this. That's addiction. Absolutely. And so the more we isolate, the more withdraw, we withdraw, the more we pull back, the more what happens? People naturally do the same thing with us. Yes. When we hurt others as a result of our addiction, what happens? We drive them even further away, which acts as confirming evidence of these internal shame messages that we're already starting to believe. You yep, see how I, that starts to build? I knew I was on my own. I knew that people yep. didn't like me. I knew that people weren't pleased with me. I knew They're never going to accept me. I knew that I could never measure up. I knew it. And yep. then, we, then we isolate more. So addiction feed narcissistic tendencies and all these other dysfunctional behaviors? Yes, addiction does. Absolutely. And those lead us to addiction. So which is it? The chicken, the egg? And you and Steve, you and I, as we got started, we thought, well, does it matter? Right? Where are you now? Yeah. Where are you in this moment? A better way to look at this rather than a chicken or an egg is to look at this like a black hole. Okay. A big ass black hole floating (laughs) out in the ether. And many things bring us to the quote unquote addiction or dysfunctional trait table. But for those who get pulled in, it just becomes an ever, ever revolving cycle where you're just rotating around the, the accretion disc of that thing, just getting pulled ever deeper in unless you find a way out. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And so, you know, and so she said something in her submission that just when you, Steve, both you and I had shouted at us as we read her deal. And, and what, she, what she said was, could this be one reason about this having narcissistic tendencies that lead you into addiction or, or addiction that leads you into narcissistic tendencies? Could this be one reason why some men are successful in recovery while others never find true recovery? And that just shouted at me mm. because I will tell you, and, and, I, and there are a few things that I state with more absolute passion in our program but none of these narcissistic tendencies or these dysfunctional tendencies or, in my case, severe trauma and abuse in my childhood, none of any of that keeps a guy from being successful in recovery. There's not a dividing line about who gets to be successful and who doesn't because of certain tendencies or situations or the past or whatever. All, all guys in recovery have the opportunity to get on this path. And to succeed. Yeah. Now, there, there are some severe, really severe uh, mental disorders and so forth that we're not going to talk about today. I'm not talking about those. But for, for the vast majority of guys that I work with, there are certain things that are going to determine whether they're successful in recovery or not. Right. One of them, uh, right, right from the get-go, is do I have a true desire, a true desire and willingness Willingness being the key word to step back and to begin to become aware of and own and take accountability, account hyphen ability and response hyphen ability for my own dysfunctional habits and tendencies and attitudes. Do I have a willingness to at least be a, begin to step back and to look at those? Can I open myself to that? That's the first step. Or am I going to stay stubborn and fixate and say, nope, damn it. I'm not going to look at any of it. You're all the problem and it's not me. 
right? That's the old fractured, broken parts trying to protect me at all costs. So this concept of willingness to look at oneself. And it was pretty hard. It was pretty hard for me to face that I had these narcissistic tendencies and dysfunctions because I didn't want to look at them. It was too painful. Agreed. Yeah. I love that. I mean, it's, 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 I, I mean, I just say ditto to that. Mark, Mark says it so well, far better than I can. Right. And it's, you know, these self-protecting parts, again, this is where, this is where we kind of come back to the issues with narcissist using the term narcissist, right? Because in so many cases, the vast majority that we work with, what may look externally narcissistic to some, when you start to get below the surface for a guy, this is not a, we don't, we do not work with guys as a general rule. Uh, who are struggling to see why something would be hurtful to someone else, at least not once they get vulnerable. Yeah. Um, now they may they may have that outer veneer of I could I I don't give a crap, you know, at the beginning. Um, but but when they really start to dial in with it and to work towards it, I mean, I love what Mark said just a minute ago. If if a guy and I, the only thing I would add to it, if he has that willingness to be accountable, to be responsible, and to be honest. If he has those traits, we rarely see a guy struggle uh, or continue to struggle the way that he did before. The, 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 the future is bright for a guy who can do those things consistently. Um, and, uh, and, and there's, there's really good news that way. So it's, it, hopefully that this, this is a message of hope for partners who are listening to this, who maybe you are married to somebody who is struggling with many of these traits and tendencies. If you're an addict listening to this, we hope that this finds you hopeful. Um, if you knew my story, if you knew Mark's story in full, boy, can we resonate with you? Yes. Wow. Can we, can we connect with, with what you're feeling in one way, shape or form? Every, every guy that Mark and I work with, and we work with some women as well. One thing that every addict I think feels in common is deep down. They're all scared that they're the worst addict in the room. Yes. They all feel that way. You know, Steve, I, you work with some messed up guys, but let me tell you. You know, we have heard that a hundred times and we used to feel the same way. You are not as broken as you think you are. Um, and there is more potential for you and for your marriage than you realize. Part of the problem, this cycle that we're talking about, right? Half the problem is you're, you've bought into the wrong voice, right? Your evidence-based brain for the last year, 5, 10, 20, 30 years plus, right? Has told you what? You're screwed. You're stuck. This is the version of you you're, you are today is the version you were yesterday. And it's the version you're always going to be, right? You're never going to be able to change. And we see guys do that uh, in our clinics and in Dare to Connect all the time. Um, so hopefully the thing that is is taken away from this, that this, you know, between all the tools that we offer, uh, Dare to Connect is a great place to find all these things under one roof. Everything from 12-step support through the through the multiple groups a week. Uh, to the daily assignments, to everything else that we offer. Um, with the right track, the right approach, and the right tools, this is absolutely beatable, absolutely overcomable. And and you you the addicts out there and the partners out there can have those relationships that they want and deserve. Well, and let me and just closing up, let me say something I hope will bring hope to all the partners listening and to all the all the addicts. I was convinced because of this kind of weaponization of this narcissism term, I was convinced at one point in my, in my addiction and early recovery that I was a clinical narcissist. Mm. I'd kind of written myself off as it. I was so cold and closed off. I didn't know how to show empathy. I didn't really even know what empathy felt like. 
I thought, yeah, I'm one of those. I, I have narcissistic personality disorder. I'm screwed. But I will tell you, once I got into recovery and I had some mentors who said, Mark, no, you, you really don't meet that narrow criteria. What I learned was I wasn't a, a clinical narcissist. I was a broken person. I had these fractured parts inside of me that had done what they had to do to protect me and to survive and closed me off almost entirely from people and from my own internal feelings and emotions. Here was the magic. As I got into real recovery and healing, I started to actually discover that I do have a natural empathy. I started to discover that I, I can feel with people. And now years into the process, I have a, I have a really deep, tender heart that, that connects immediately to people's deep feelings on a daily basis. Mm. I thought that that was impossible for me if you go back to my dark days. And there were some people who declared that it was for me. Oh yeah. Mark's just a narcissist, right? He's going to go leave him alone. He's going to go do him. They were dead wrong. And I was dead wrong about myself. Yeah. So I hope that gives hope. Yeah, I love that. Love that. It's a great way to end. Well, everybody, thank you for being here. As always, we appreciate your patronage and attending the podcast and hope that you find these helpful. We're so always grateful to hear from all of you uh, here at the podcast, whether it's a question or an affirmation or feedback. Uh, for more information and to get a hold of us uh, and to work with us individually, we do have both clinics with, that are full with extensive waiting lists, but we would love to uh, work with you and you can start that as early as today. Um, go to dare to get dare to connect now.com. Uh, there's a two week free trial for our dare to connect program. We run that program. It's not run by other therapists who then run it. We have one facilitator that helps us with our, with our groups on the weekends for spouses. Uh, other than that, we do everything personally. We steer the ship personally. We come up with the content personally. It's all Mark and Steve all the time for better or worse. So, <laughs> um, we would love to have you come join us. Come check out your free two week trial at dare to connect now.com. We'd love to have you join us and, and uh, level up your recovery and take it to new heights. And if you would like to send us a submission for the podcast uh, to be considered, and you're okay waiting a few weeks, I think we're at about seven or so. Maybe a few months. <laughs> Maybe a few months <laughs> for, for a response. We we do love those submissions, and we sincerely do appreciate that and the chance to work with you here in a limited fashion. So please do send those in, those into us. There's a contact form at the bottom of the at the bottom of the page, pbscpodcast.com, and you can send those in there as well. All right, everybody. Hey, thanks for being with us. And we will see you next time on PBSE. Take care, everybody. Everything expressed on the PBSE podcast are the opinions of the hosts and the participants and is for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast should not be considered mental health therapy or as a substitute thereof. It is strongly recommended that you seek out the clinical guidance of an individual qualified mental health professional. If you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, self-harm, or a desire to harm others, please dial 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.